All right, we're going to look tonight at something that I got to tell you, folks. I, this has been good, and I've enjoyed sharing this stuff. But I got one more week of this in me, and then I'm done. Because this is some strange stuff. And I want to forewarn you that I did not make up anything that I'm going to share with you tonight. Uh, I'm bringing you the facts, just the facts, ma'am. Uh, so get ready. We're going to look at Scientology tonight. Next week I'm going to deal with Islam, which is to me a cross between a world religion and a cult. It's more in the world religion category, but because I'm trying to deal with things that are staring us in the face. Mormonism is staring us in the face. Jehovah's Witnesses staring us in the face. Uh, Scientology, as we're going to see, you know, the, the, the uh, religion of the stars, because so many high visibility people have been into it, uh, it's, it's just gone all over the country. So we're going to share on that. Next week, Islam, because it is indeed staring us in the face. So we're going to look at how, where it came from, how it really came about. So let's stand tonight. We're going to read one verse together. And I've already had feedback on people taking these CDs to people that are involved in Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormonism. And boy, when it goes over the air, buckle your seatbelt. I'll get feedback then too. But let's, uh, we're going to look at Scientology tonight. I had to call it the bizarre cult of Scientology. Let's read this warning from Paul about the last days. Ready? For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after fables, myths, make-believe stories. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for making us a people that are wise, who understand the different cultic teachings that are attacking us in our day, not only so that we, Lord, can stay safe and protected from them, but we can help deliver others. We come to you in humility tonight, Lord, not claiming to have all the answers and not to make a mockery of anybody's beliefs, but to expose the works of the enemy that people might be set free. Speak to us tonight, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. God bless you. You can be seated. I, boy, I'll tell you, let's look at what Scientology teaches. And we're not going to be on this as long tonight, I don't think, as we have the others. Uh, I, it won't take long. Not surprisingly, Scientology's founder, who is L. Ron Hubbard, was a science fiction writer, a, a mediocre one. And among Scientology's fans are actors Tom Cruise and John Travolta. Cruise has been called Scientology's foremost evangelist. Did you know that? They consider him that. Scientology, uh, Scientology is known as the religion of the stars. Hollywood has bought into Scientology hook, line, and sinker. Scientology was founded in 1953, four years after Hubbard made the statement to a friend, quote, I'd like to start a religion. That's where the money is. Hmm? And that's where he found wealth because Hubbard became a multimillionaire off of Scientology. 
All right, Scientology is here to rescue you, claimed Hubbard. Everybody ready to be rescued? Okay. Okay, church, buckle your seatbelts. It's going to be a crazy ride. Let's look at what Scientology believes. Scientology teaches that mankind is an immortal spirit being, an immortal spirit being called a Thetan. Can you say Thetan with me? Thetan. So we are spirit beings called Thetans. I'm already hearing the science fiction writing in here. Amen. We're not originally from this planet and are trapped by matter, energy, space, and time. I only feel that way in rush hour traffic. <laughs> I'm trapped by matter, energy, space, and time. And they call it uh, M-E-S-T. We could call it messed up. Okay. Scientology proposes that in its native state, the spirit, or Thetan, is immortal and godlike and possesses the potential of knowing everything, but that in present time its true capabilities have been lost and forgotten. So you are godlike, immortal, but you don't know it yet. That's the message. As an immortal entity, the spirit or the Phaeton lives on after bodily death and is born into a new physical body again and again, lifetime after lifetime, in an endless cycle of birth and death. So Scientology, first of all, uh, embraces reincarnationism, and, 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 and I'm going to talk about that more in just a minute, but that's very important to know. That's your first warning sign right there. In the materials written for upper-level Scientologists, because there's, there's many levels, I, I think there's eight levels. And the materials written for upper-level Scientologists, L. Ron Hubbard spins quite a tale. And here's the tale. And this is what they believe. And I want you to get this. They believe this. He writes that 75 million years ago, the head of the Galactic Federation, made up of 76 planets, was, was, was a being named Xenu. I knew this would be hard. Let's move on. What kind of a writer was he? That's right. Faced with an overpopulation problem, Xenu brought beings to this planet, blew them up with hydrogen bombs, and packaged them. I've heard that before. And you know, you know I got to tell you, there's a verse that comes to me, to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. If you don't know God and you're looking for a reality, and you'll, you'll believe anything. And so I don't make, you know, I'm not mocking, I'm, I'm going to be clear about this. This is not to mock anyone's beliefs. Think of what some of the things you believe before you got saved. But this is up there. This is in my top one percentile of bizarre teaching. But they believe it. Uh, according to Hubbard, once they were blown up by hydrogen bombs and packaged, 
their spirits now infest our bodies. He says one's body is a mass of individual phaetons stuck to oneself or to the body. So according to Scientology, you've got phaetons clinging to you. Klingons. <laughs> phaetons. Klingons. Now, I'm, I'm making light. It's, it's real serious, y'all. I'm just trying to make light because it's... Now, advanced Scientologists make it their aim. This is one of the aims of Scientology. To rid yourself of these phaetons, these spirits, by helping each one, each person, to remember the painful experiences of having been blown up. These memories are removed by a process called auditing. So auditing has more than one bad connotation. <laughs> Here's another one. Here's another one. These memories of, of, that have been primarily blocked out as you have been reincarnated over and over again, but they're still lodged down in your subconscious phaeton. They're removed by this process called auditing. Now, most auditing sessions, I'm not kidding, employ a device called the Hubbard Electropsychometer or the E-meter. When you go in, and you pay a lot of money to do this, they hook you up to a Hubbard electropsychometer. This device measures changes in the electrical resistance of the pre-clear. That's what a person is who hasn't been audited yet. They're pre-clear. It's before you're clear, before you've been, your memories have been healed and all this stuff that's wrong has been made right. You're a pre-clear. Once you've been through auditing, you're clear. Now, the only reason I'm showing you this it's because I want to show you what's out there, what is being taught people behind closed doors. And they say it takes a great leap of faith to be a Christian. <laughs> well, that's gone. I, I'm not going to leave you here forever, but I'm, I want you to see. This device measures changes in the electrical resistance of the pre-clear or you before you've been audited by passing approximately 0.5 volts through a pair of tin-plated tubes, much like empty soup cans, attached to the meter by wires and held by the pre-clear or the PC during auditing. So you're hanging on to these things. They run a real mild current through you. And that current is supposed to register on some meter and tell them how unclear you are as a pre-clear. how much you need to have cleared out, all right? These changes, the changes they think they see in electrical resistance are believed by Scientologists to be a reliable and precise indication of changes in the reactive mind, your mind, when that mild uh, uh, volt goes through you. The E-meter is believed to aid the auditor in identifying engrams. Now, we don't have much more of this but I wanted to go this far. What is an engram? It's painful memories from when you were blown up and hurt and other things in other lives. Seriously. That's what an engram is. So the e-meter is believed to aid the auditor in identifying painful memories and then what's called incidents, 
which they believe to be alien interventions in past lives, and implants, which is a planted thought from an alien with evil intent. Now, I'm giving you time to see law these things. That means think about it. Now watch this. These are all ingrained memories of past events in this life and in previous ones on what Hubbard calls the whole track. So they're going to go back into all these past lives of yours and clear you out from uh, 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 traumatic things that happened to you. They do it by this auditing. And this is a process you go through for a reason. As mentioned, Hubbard wrote about past life experiences and all the way back billions and even trillions of years. What kind of writer was he? Yeah. Now, further, as one progresses through a series of auditing levels, one can eventually be restored to native state and can attain the status of an operating phaeton. You know, I, what level are you on? I, I'm an operating phaeton. You know, uh, wherein one is free of attachments to the body and even while exterior to outside the body, now once you're an operating phaeton, you can consciously control matter, energy, space, time, thought, and life. And the reason you couldn't control those things before is because you were encumbered with all these things that needed to be audited. You get it? pains and hurts and traumas from your past lives. Hubbard's writings and lectures include many tantalizing details of the godlike abilities that may be gained through auditing. Now for most individual Scientologists, recovering these godlike abilities and encouraging and assisting others to do so as well is the primary goal of participation in Scientology. So the goal of Scientology, and for a, a good Scientologist, is first you get audited. You go through the different levels of auditing until you become an operating phaeton. Once you're an operating phaeton and you can control matter and all these different things that were out of your control before, then your calling is to lead others into Scientology, take them through getting rid of all of the, the clinging phaetons, and then, I'm sorry, then become an operating phaeton, and then go set others free. I'd just soon preach the gospel myself, but here we go. Now, the levels through which a particip uh, participant progresses make up what is called the bridge of total freedom. As you start going through these levels of auditing, you're headed towards the bridge of total freedom. Okay? Progress through all the levels of the bridge often takes many years of dedicated study and practice. Can you say with me, Jesus paid it all. And all to him I owe. See, this is works. This is works, works, works. And not only works, but money. Because the cost in fees for services, 
for the bridge, to reach the bridge, after all this auditing, to total freedom, is currently estimated at about 300 to 500,000 U.S. dollars. You know, they always say, follow the money. There it is. If you're going to go through all these levels, then you're going to end up spending, by the time you're an operating phaeton, three to five hundred thousand dollars. Now, this is a pretty moot question, but here we go. Does Scientology have anything in common with Christianity? Y'all better give me a big no. <laughs> We're in a Christian church here. We're supposed to know our Bibles, all right? No, this has nothing to do with Christianity. People who say I'm a Scientologist and a Christian at the same time, impossible. You can't be. There is no way. Because watch, here's why. Let's look at what they believe about what we believe about or how it compares. How about God? What do they believe about God? Scientology rejects the biblical description of God. It does not define God or a supreme being. Everyone is a phaeton. An immortal spirit with unlimited powers over its own universe. So being a phaeton, you are also a god. Okay? That's what it's saying. However, everybody is not aware of this particular fact yet. On the other hand, what does the Christian believe? The Christian believes in one God who created the universe and everything in it. And we are not gods. We are redeemed sinners. We are His creation. We are human beings, but we are certainly not gods. So it's just on the subject of God, you've got to say goodbye to Scientology, but let's move on. What do they say about Jesus? Jesus is rarely mentioned in Scientology. Jesus was not the creator and not an operating phaeton. Thank God. <laughs> Jesus was not an operating phaeton. <laughs> in control of supernatural powers and cleared from mental defects. Can you believe that? If anybody was an operating phaeton, it's Jesus. He was telling the winds and the waves to obey him, but he was the son of God. Now, Jesus did not die for sins. As a matter of fact, to Scientologists, Jesus was just another good man who died an unfortunate death. On the other hand, of course, Christians believe that Christ was active in creation, was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for our sins, and was resurrected on the third day and ascended back to glory. We're talking about Scientology tonight, the difference between Scientology and Christianity. When Tom Cruise... God bless him and help him, or John Travolta, or any of these movie stars who have such incredible influence and sway over people. Go on TV and say, I'm a Scientologist. You ought to be a Scientologist. It has blessed me, healed my life, so on and so forth. I'm telling you what they really teach and believe. They don't believe in your God. They don't believe in your Christ. They don't believe in your Bible. Just because they're a movie star doesn't make them right. So I want to be real clear about this. What about uh, salvation? What do they say about salvation? Well, to a Scientologist, there is no sin. And therefore, there's no need to repent. Scientologists believe it is an insult 
to label any human being a sinner. It's an insult to a human being to call them a sinner. To a Scientologist, salvation is freedom from reincarnation. Now here's where they steal from Buddhism, and I want you to be real, I want you to get this now. To them, salvation is not to have your sins forgiven and to be born again, covered by the blood of Jesus, and go to heaven someday based on His merit. Salvation is to be delivered from the tyranny of constant reincarnations. To a Scientologist, I don't want to come back anymore. I'm tired of being reincarnated. It's major deception, folks. Major deception. And they, Scientology here borrows straight from Buddhism, which teaches that reincarnation happens due to bad karma. And maybe you don't know this about Buddhism. Let me just give you a little bit about Buddhism here tonight. Buddhism, if you go back to ancient Buddhism and the original Buddha, Buddha believed that we were completely or we were continuously reincarnated. That we came back over and over and over again. Why? Because of bad karma. What is karma? Karma is right now in this life we are paying consequences for what we did wrong in former lives. And until we can break that cycle, we must come back over and over again to atone for our own sins by living right. So, every time you do something wrong as a true Buddhist, as a true reincarnationist, every time you do something wrong, you go, oh no, what, what if I've got to come back again to atone for that one? Man, most of us would always be getting reincarnated. We'd never get off that wheel. <laughs> and so what the Buddhists, the ancient Buddhists, the real true Buddhists, not the Richard Gere Buddhists, but the real Buddhists, I don't know where Richard Gere is, but I don't think that he lives real Buddhism. Because real Buddhism, you sought to be free of all desire. You sought to be free of all cravings. You sought to mortify and kill and destroy all feeling and desire. True Buddhists back in Buddha's day in India would go, they would bury themselves in the dirt till only their head stuck out. They would stare up at the sun. They would go into a trance. They would lose their sight. They would meditate and try to get themselves into a state of mind where they no longer felt desire because to them desire equaled sin and sin equaled having to come back again. It is confusion to the tenth power. I can't imagine living under what they did, but they lived under this. The real Buddhist would, would get to the point where he would meditate until he reached what he, hoped, what he hoped to arrive at, which was called nirvana. Nirvana was when you reached the state where you felt no desire any longer, no more cravings, no more desire. In other words, you're emotionally dead. And once you reach that nirvana, then hopefully in that state of mind, your cycle of reincarnation was stopped.
because you hated the idea of coming back and coming. To them, birth was evil because birth meant you were going to have to be born over and over and over again. It was so much a works righteousness proposition. And talk about something that put a burden on you. Good grief. Every little mistake you made, oh no, I got to come back again now. I might have to pay for that in another life. That's why to them the cows were sacred, crickets were everything. There, were, there was a certain kind of Buddhist, they wouldn't step on an ant. It might be my aunt. They wouldn't kill a fly. That might be Uncle Joe. They wouldn't kill anything living, wouldn't touch it, wouldn't step on it. Hey, flies had their day in the house of one of these old Buddhists because they were never killed. Nothing was killed. They would look and make sure when they walked somewhere that nothing living was in their path so that they step, lest they step on it and kill it. That's the old Buddhism. I don't think Richard Gere lives there who says he's a Buddhist and the Dalai Lama and all this stuff. But this is Buddhism. And, and, and what has Scientology done? They've just stolen from old Buddhism. Uh, well, here's karma real quick. Let me look at this. Karma is the belief, and I've already talked about it really. In order to break the cycle, you've got to live an exemplary life, void of offense, treating all people well in order to stop negative karma. You know, here comes the Bible and says, whatever you sow, you're going to reap. In this life, <laughs> and, and, and in the life to come, if you don't come to Christ, you will reap in eternity, but not in repeated lives. Okay? Everybody clear about this? So when you hear somebody say, oh, bad karma, you know where that came from. Uh, Scientologists have just repackaged this whole thing of reincarnationism, and they offered a different path toward ending reincarnation. To the Buddhist, live an exemplary life, meditate to the place you have no more desire. But to the Scientologist, you get to, you stop reincarnation by working with an auditor on your engrams. and idiosyncrasies or hang-ups to achieve the state of clear. I'm clear. Hallelujah, I'm clear. When I got saved, I felt that way. How about you? All right. Then you progress up the bridge to total freedom. And $500,000 later, you're totally free and they're rich. On the other hand, the Bible is totally clear about reincarnation. Can you read this verse with me? For it is given unto men once to die, then comes judgment. You live once, then comes judgment. That's it. Uh, To the Scientologists, what about hell and afterlife? To them, hell is a myth. People who get clear of engrams become operating phaetons, and I don't know where they go from there, maybe back to Xenu, I don't know. But there's no hell. There's no eternal punishment. There's no consequences. Do you see how unbiblical this is? Do you see how dangerous this is? Can you imagine living under this, going to one of these auditors, having those things hooked up to you, and them saying, well, a, a million years ago, an alien implanted a, a negative something in your mind, and, and we see it on, on the whatever it was called, and and we need, we need to audit that out. Can, can you, really? I mean, no help from God. No God to go to because there is no God in Scientology. No forgiveness. Just, just removing it like erasing something 
by these auditors. Well, what does the Bible say about hell? Well, the Bible clearly warns of judgment and an eternal afterlife. And I'm going to quote Jesus Christ since everybody out there in that culture is always saying he didn't talk about hell. Well, is that true? In Matthew's gospel, Christ says to those that did not know him, can you read this with me? Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. What did Jesus call hell? The everlasting fire. It's fiery and it's everlasting. Everlasting means it never stops. Jesus said that. Not Jeff, not Christianity, Jesus said there was a fire everlasting, never ended, where the worm was not quenched, the thirst was never quenched, and the worm never dies. He said that's what's going to happen to people who die in a lost condition. It's hard for me to wrap my mind around that, but Jesus said it. Now what about, is that the only time? Here's another example. He said, it is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. What kind of fire, everybody? Everlasting fire. So there's Jesus talking about hell. Now hell, if you want to say that it's whatever, fire, separation from God, eternal darkness. I know this, I don't want it. Somebody said to me the other day, do you believe somebody can lose their salvation? And I said, I believe in the keeping power of grace. I'm a grace man. But I live like you can lose it. So do you think you can? No. But I live like I can. I'm a grace man. But I, I live like I can lose it. In other words, you ought to live right. Not perfect, but right. So, Scientology clearly is a cult built upon totally unbiblical and bizarre concepts that do not and cannot save one from his or her sins or prepare one to meet God. I did a funeral today of a man who I baptized years ago. He was only 37 years old. Uh, Hispanic brother who was left off. I talked about this a little bit uh, Sunday. He was left off in Dallas. He'd gone to a, somewhere with some of his buddies and somehow or another he got separated from them and, and so they got in their car and left, and he was walking, and he called his mother, 37 years old, walking from Dallas at about 4 in the morning. And he said, Mother, you know, I'm, I'm walking. I don't know what else to do. She said, get a taxi. And right about then, his cell phone dropped the call. So she started trying to call back, never could get him. An hour later, he was struck by a car, dragged him 80 feet, and left him to die. He died. When I saw his picture, I immediately knew who he was. Left a little one-year-old girl. And when I went in there to the funeral home today, it was packed. And this guy had been greatly loved by, obviously, by his, his family and friends. There was a lot of weeping, a lot of heartache. It was terrible. I, I would bet if I were a better, whoever hit him had been drinking. And that's why they didn't stop. They didn't want to get hauled in for a DUI, and they did not want to have to answer for killing someone uh, in voluntary man manslaughter. So they just fled the scene, just left him there. And as I was sitting there waiting for, uh, for my 
time to stand up there and address this crowd, the story came to me of, that Jesus told uh, about the Tower of Siloam in the New Testament. The Tower of Siloam was a sort of a natural disaster, sort of like that deal that happened in Dallas today where all those acetylene tanks just blew up. And you had this disaster. And people came to Jesus and said, all those people that were killed when that tower fell, what did they do wrong? And they were doing what so many people do so often. When somebody meets with a tragedy, first thing we do is we say, what sin was in their life? But Jesus said, unless you repent, you will also likewise perish. So he's saying, yeah, they were in a natural disaster. When they got up that morning, they didn't think that was their last day. They just were in the wrong place at the wrong time, and this tower fell. John Medina, that was his name, was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And somebody came through and hit him, and he went into eternity. And what the Lord told me to tell these people is, I got to tell you, some zeal got stirred up in me, and I started preaching. Because here was a whole bunch of them, and they were just there for a funeral. And I said, you know, nobody has a guarantee of tomorrow. John Medina never believed when he woke up Saturday morning. That was his last day on the planet. Beautiful little one-year-old girl, little doll. He had no idea, but that was his day. And so I'll tell you, folks, we don't need to be telling people, and you know this, but in light of tonight, well, whatever, you're just going to come back again and again and again. So if you don't make it in this life, just make it in the next one. There's not another one. This is it. This is it. You get right with Christ in this life or you don't. You come to God while you can or you don't. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. This is the day. You, are you alive? If you don't know Christ, you've got right now. And those of you listening by radio, driving in rush hour traffic, sitting in your home, if you don't know Christ, you don't know if you've got a tomorrow. John Medina didn't have a tomorrow. Those at the Tower of Siloam didn't have a tomorrow. Those that got struck in the World Trade Center and dove out of windows that morning did not know that was their last day. The question is not, how come this happened to them, but were you ready? Because this is a deception. This Scientology teaching, it's a deception. We have turned from the truth and turned to fables and science fiction stories and myths instead of embracing the truth. And the truth is there's one Savior and there's one blood and there's one cross and there's one way and there's one heaven and there's one hell and there's one God. And if I were you and you don't know him or you're not walking with him, I'd do it tonight. And I do it listening by radio. I do it quickly. Pull over the side of the road and give your heart to Jesus. Because he doesn't guarantee a believer or a non-believer a tomorrow. Amen? Well, let's stand together. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending Christ to die for our sins. It's not a confusing message. 
And it doesn't depend on our works. It depends on what He's already done for us. And we embrace it and we receive it. And it's all by grace and none by works. I pray for everyone in this room, Lord, anyone who is not walking with you, that they will come to you and walk with you while it is day. Night comes, Lord, when no one can work and no one will have time or place to repent. Lord, we pray for those trapped in this terrible cult, this terrible deception. We pray that you will send a, uh, a person or maybe many people, some of the more visible Scientologists, that you will reach them, convert them, bring them to a knowledge of the truth, then send them back to expose this stuff. But we believe you, Lord, to set people free of this terrible teaching all over the world. And we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your grace. In Jesus' name, can you just breathe a prayer and say, Lord, thank you for setting me free by the blood, by the blood of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, the blood of Jesus. Oh, thank God for that blood. Thank God for that blood. Thank God for that blood. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for the Holy Ghost. Well, let's sing about that blood. Steve, lead us, and let's just sing about that blood before we go tonight. I'm so thankful for the blood. After reading and seeing all this, I'm so thankful for the blood. Amen. Praise God. Let's sing about it.